0: Thanks, Devin. Just uh, played what we prayed about uh, as far as counting your blessings name one by one. Now, and if you're like me at all, you know, sometimes you hear those things and go, yeah, but I've really never done that, you know, counted every single one of my blessings. And uh, sometimes I will write down a sheet of paper and I'll put down things and and do kind of from an intentional perspective. And that's always good. And I hope you have some family traditions where you try to make a, a special time of returning thanks. But let me, uh, let me give you a, a simple thing you can do. I did it with our Wednesday group, I think, uh, life group. But one of the things you can do is you can do alphabet praise or alphabet thanksgiving. You know, go from A to Z. And what you do, you can do this individually, of course, but you could do this in, in a family circle where you simply say, okay, I'm going to give you a letter, and everyone has to go around. They have to say something they're thankful for that begins with the letter A, and the next person has to do it with the letter B and the letter C and D. And it, it causes you to think about those things that you that you never return thanks for, but because you've got to figure out a word that begins with that letter, it causes you to think about things that you haven't been grateful about. So that's just a, a freebie there if you want to put that, count your blessings, name them one by one in a, in a way that's I guess intentional uh, do alphabet praise or alphabet Thanksgiving, and you can have fun with it. And it doesn't always have to be over, overtly spiritual. When it gets to J, you don't have to say Jesus, but you but you know whatever you can say whatever you want. You can make it spiritual in terms of you know biblical themes, and that's that's good as well. But you can also just have fun with it. You know, I I, I thank God for jelly beans. You know, whatever it might be. So it, it uh, it's a way to return thanks about the little things as well as the big things. That makes sense. So that's your that's your freebie. That. Uh, that's, that, that might be the only thing you would get from this, today's message, but there, that's something you, you can take home with you. All right. Well, today is one of those days in which, uh, and I've already done it once, and so uh, as, as we approach it this, this, in the second service, it's, it's a passage that, that has so much in it that I have to decide what, not only what to preach on, but what not to preach on, what to explain, what not to explain. And in the midst of its complexity, I, as I was, you know, putting together the message, I, I, I want to have a theme here that is, is extremely pointed and practical as well. And so I've entitled the message, Happiness Comes From What? And maybe you've had experiences like that where, you know, someone says something and you say, really? Really? That's, that's how you think? That's how you live? That's how you feel? And, and as you look at Revelation 18 in the context of where we've been at, it's, it's one of those chapters It's a heavy chapter. Last week was kind of heavy and this week's kind of heavy and... Part of next, well, not next week, because we're going to take a break in kind of a Christmas series, not kind of, but Christmas series, is Revelation 18 is again kind of the details of God unleashing His holy judgment upon this world, and particularly last week we looked at how God unleashes His judgment on religion. I remember that last week, and it was, it was really kind of a singular point, but if we try to reach God through our own efforts, which really is what religion is, if we define it that way, uh, and I think we defined it last Sunday, is, is any attempt to substitute a real relationship with the true God through any ritual or rules or regulations, and that happens down through history as well as in current history where people approach God through their own means, and, and they substitute really knowing God to, to doing some things that they think will get them to God. And God is available through His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, that's one world that, that needs to be crushed, a false religion. But also what needs to be crushed is another place where people try to get their happiness from. And that's the things of this world. And we're going to see the, the empire of materialism or financial empire to be destroyed in that what is to come. But I want to begin this way. As you think about where does happiness come from, you could ask yourself, what is, the, what is your bottom line? What is it you really need to make life livable or filled with some form of happiness or joy? You could also ask, what do you need to be happy? Well, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, for I rejoice in the Lord greatly and there is a kind of debate as, well, how much difference is joy with happiness? You know, happiness is it a derivative of things that are happening, and if it's only from happenings, then your happiness depends depend upon what has happened or is about to happen to get your joy. Some see it as totally similar, and I'm not going to debate that this morning, but we're talking about that which is really what makes life livable. And, and, and Paul said, I, I want you to know that I'm experiencing joy, not just joy, but great joy. And normally you think, well, what's happening? They given you great joy. Well, it comes in his relationships. He says that now at last you, this is the church at Philippi he was writing to, have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And don't you get joy when people that you care about and you hope care about cares about you, and they express care to you, they express love to you, and that just that love fills you with more love and fills you with more joy. And so Paul said, my my joy is found in people, not in circumstances. In fact, he, he goes on and says in verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And see, that's a radical different perspective on life. Normally we are happy when things are going well and we're unhappy when things are not going well. And, and there, there, is a, there is some um, reality to that experience when, when it's much more uh, pleasurable, let's say, use that word, when things are going well rather than when they are not going well. But we can't control those things. And so Paul says, you know, I've learned that I can still have joy, contentment, no matter what is happening. And of course, he's writing this from prison. And then really the context of this verse that many of us heard so many times, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, again, that's not about leaping tall buildings with a single bound or running faster than a bullet. You're not talking about being able to do things you are not physically capable of doing. He's saying, I can have joy. I can rejoice greatly when everything around me is going poorly. And the only way that happens is through Christ's strength. Well, what we're going to see this morning is, is that we're going to, reviewing last week, and I've already done my review, Revelation 17, it was the fall of the future religious empire. And in Revolution, Revelation 18, we're going to see the fall of the future financial empire. But I want to bring this singular point home about where true happiness comes from and also where it does not come from by just sharing with you just a recent experience. Um, this last Thursday I did the graveside surf for Maxine Gear, and some of you know her well and the memorial service for her will be uh, on Saturday, uh, December 12th but in meeting with the family it was interesting to, to hear a little bit more about Maxine's experience Maxine having been given many years to live here on this earth and she uh, was able to, to live a length of time But she grew up during the depression years. And when she got married, she lived in Oklahoma and and her husband uh, went everywhere to try to find work and found work at a gas station and worked 10 hours a day for the huge compensation of a dollar and a half a day for working 10 hours a day. It was interesting about that, he was so thankful to have that, that job because people would come along all the time and they would tell the owner of the gas station, whatever you're paying him. I'll work for half that. Half that. 75 cents a day for 10 hours a day. And you might be thinking, well, he had all kinds of perks, didn't he? Well, he worked seven days a week, and the only time off he had, he was given a half day off at Christmas. And this, this is what's interesting is that I, 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 I didn't know this about Maxine, but she, she liked to write poems. Now, there isn't a poetic bone in my body, okay? Um, but this is a very remarkable poem written by someone who, who experienced true happiness with, during those days, not having a whole lot. Drinking from the saucer. I've never made a fortune and I'll never make it now. But it really doesn't matter because I'm happy anyhow. As I go along my journey, I'm reaping better than I've sowed. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. I don't have a lot of riches, and sometimes the going's rough, but while I've got friends to love me, I think I'm rich enough. I'll just thank God for the blessings that His mercy has bestowed. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. If God gives me strength and courage when the way grows steep and rough, I'll not ask for other blessings. I have already been blessed enough. May I never be too busy to help bear another's load? Then I'll be drinking from the saucer, cause my cup has overflowed. And as we look into not only who is coming, but what is coming, and coming to the 18th chapter of the book of Revelation, and it's it's uh, it's always a challenge. You know, we spent five weeks on two verses. And we're going to spend one Sunday on 24 verses. And it's hard to kind of put those two things together in terms of explaining everything. But we're going to see in Revelation 18 as the financial empire of this world is destroyed. You come to the conclusion that they could not write a poem like this. And what God is warning through this book, among other things, and encouraging those who will hear the words that are being written, is that there is another way. And happiness does not have to come from what you have on the outside, but what, who you have on the inside. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 18. And we're, we're going to you know, put some simple fill-in-the-blanks. We don't have anything on the, on, on the screen today. But, but it's just to kind of take you through the flow of this chapter as, as we see final judgments coming. And this great empire that has been put together by the Antichrist, the one who rises, raises the power during this seven-year period of time, and he comes initially with peace, and then through his power takes over everything. He forms a religion that, that is passed around throughout the entire planet, and then when it doesn't, he doesn't need it to manipulate people, he takes the worship of people. And his empire, where, where power also resides in his ability to control the finances and the the prosperity of all those who who follow after him. And this empire arises, and, and then God says, enough is enough, and it's going to be done. And with that, what you see is where people thought their happiness came from will be gone. And in one sense, I guess that's, that's where we all have to wrestle. And look, at, I, I like it when things are going right. You know, I still don't have my skylight on my house now. I've been three and a half months. It's still not, it's not working yet, all right? I prefer it did three and a half months ago. We got El Nino, Nino coming, and I'm hoping it's done by the, before the rains come. But, but hopefully we come to the point where our joy is not dependent about what is happening to us, but again, who is living in us. So where does happiness not only come from, but what we'll spend most of the time, where does it not come from? And these these points are going to be very simple as we look through the complexity of the text. Happiness won't come from pursuing power and pleasures that won't last. Revelation 18, beginning with verse 1. After these things, after that which had been destroyed by the the world leader, the, the false religion, and he now receives worship, after these things, I saw another angel... Uh, coming down from heaven another messenger that's what an angel is simply not an earthly messenger but a heavenly messenger having great authority and the worth was and the earth was illumined with his glory and revelation is one of those books in which there's so many word pictures here and sometimes it helps to try to picture what's happening here. here here you have this angel speaking unto john and he speaks with a message that he says i'm listening and we all have experiences where people are talking and we're not what and some of you are doing that right now, right? Okay, It's that, you know, someone, someone's speaking and you're not listening. You look like you're listening, but you're not really listening. Well, then when the angel spoke, John listened. But not only did he hear, and that's kind of a, you know, it's a 3D type of experience here, is he, he, he sees him in his glory. And which is interesting, the world had been darkened, and now this angel comes to bring light. Verse 2, And he cried out, he the angel cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And here's where I'm choosing not to spend the time. Why I believe this is going to be a rebuilt city in Babylon, probably in Iraq or some other area in the Middle East, where this, this power base for all the financial dealings of the entire world will, will, be, will rise again. And, and, it's a, and it's a dwelling place. It's a dwelling place not only in all the riches, but it's a dwelling place of everyone's experience that, that rebels against God. It says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She in reference to the city, has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And so this is a place in which people are are drunk with the the experience of stimulating their senses in every which way possible. And the center of that is in this place called Babylon. And and the angel is given the message from God that this is a demonic place. This is is not a place of, of goodness, but evil. It's not a place that's, that's clean, it's, it's dirty. And that's why it will be destroyed, because it's demonic. And then secondly, it's very dirty. And I remember a, a few years ago, there was that, that movie, I think it was called Wall Street, and the, the main character said, greed is good. Now, I, I think being successful in business is good, but greed is not good. And, and yet, they'll buy into that. And then when you acquire a lot, you use it all for yourself and they're, they're drunk with the wine of the passion of all the evil things that are happening within that town. In 2 Timothy 3, 4, says this, that in the end times, that, that men will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And, and let's... Let's not be confused here. When people are experiencing pleasure, it is pleasurable. It brings a a form of happiness, but it will not last. And, And what happens when you lose that which stimulates you? So happiness will not come from power and pleasure. In many ways, it's just demonic and it's dirty and will eat you up. And the judgment of God will come upon it. Secondly, pleasure or happiness—excuse me—won't come not only from pursuing power and pleasures; that won't last. It will not won't come from making bad decisions. And there's nothing, you know, you know, unknown about what I'm going to say today. These are pretty obvious statements, but but people don't really realize when they make bad decisions, things are going to come back on their plate. And Revelation 18, verse 4, it says, I heard another voice from heaven, another heavenly messenger saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. And so it looks like there, here's a warning, not just to the world at large saying, look, this is coming, you better be prepared for it, you might better get out of it, but also speaking probably to the people who are going to be experiencing it during that day that are followers of Christ, say, look it. As you see everyone else doing it, just because everyone else is doing it, don't what? Don't do it. Don't be conformed to this world. Remember we talked about that in Romans 12? Don't be conformed to this world. And that warning needs to be heard now and in the future. Don't participate in what they're doing. Because compromising choices have consequences. Compromising choices or bad decisions have consequences. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. often when people are involved in certain behavior, they'll say it's a victimless crime or a victimless behavior. If no one's getting hurt, then what's wrong with it? You've ever heard that logic? Um, Well, that sounds good, but I guess the question is, is it really true? When you break God's commandments, uh, are there going to be any consequences? And and let me, I didn't say this in the first verse, but some of breaking God's commandments, it's not the direct judgment of God upon, there's going to be direct judgment of God. But often when when we break God's rules, there's just natural consequences. There's going to be bad things happen to you. Like if I'm on the top of a building or some of you have heard stories me on top of a ladder, you know, and do something kind of crazy, and I fall. The law of gravity gives me a natural consequence for my foolish actions, right? And when we break other God's commandments, there are natural consequences. Um, I, I remember reading this a number of years ago. that It says that one out of every five Americans have contracted a sexually transmitted disease. One out of every five. And sexually transmitted disease, really, we're talking about gonorrhea, syphilis. Is it? It's really incurable. You can treat the symptoms, but you don't get cured of it. But more, a more recent thing, it was just I read it in Yahoo News, I think on Friday, and then ran some things off on it. But that that sexually transmitted disease is now on, a, on a, a rise in America. I mean, it's increasing. But I was really I was struck by one statistic. And every one of the the STDs are increasing in terms of people getting cases of it. But in 2014, it says 83% of male cases of syphilis were from gay or bisexual men. Now, this was not an article written by Christians here. This was just a Yahoo News statement of what's going on. Now, the reason I say using this as an illustration is that and I don't think Christians, I, you know, we're, in a, we're living within two worlds, the world of heaven and the world of the earth, and, uh, and we don't expect Christians, non-Christians, to act like Christians. And our major goal is not to impose our rules on other people, but we do want to bring people to Jesus. And when we warn people about sin, it's not because we think arbitrarily that's right and that's wrong. But we realize this, this is from God, and when you break God's commandments, you'll experience the consequences of it. 83% of the cases of syphilis is from people involved in homosexual behavior. Now, if I heard that statistic and I was wondering, well, should I, should I go down that path? You'd say, I don't want to go down that path. I, I don't want to get that kind of disease. But, but I've heard, oh, I'm not hurting anybody if I just decide to act out my sexuality in ways that seem natural to me. But if there's anything that seems natural to you, you do, and you get grave consequences, what might you decide to do if you're wise? I'm going to stop that behavior. I don't want that risk. And so we need to understand that as, as, as God warns the people, don't participate in that because you're going to get the plagues. and It's a natural plague. God didn't build us that way. Warren was sharing about happiness at the men's uh, breakfast. He talked about, you know, when we don't don't go God's way, we're never going to be satisfied. God has built us a certain way, and so he knows what's really going to be satisfying. And so the warning is out, because bad decisions don't bring happiness. You compromise their consequences. he's speaking to the city. In Jeremiah 50, 29, he says, Summon many against Babylon, all those who bend the the bow, and camp against her on every side. Let there be no escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all that she has done. So do to her, for she has become arrogant against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Moving on from this passage, in verse 5, it says, For her sins, Babylon, and, and all that she influences others to participate in, have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. I'm sure if someone had a court case against us uh, or we were br- brought into court, we're, we're hoping whatever we're being judged on, it's, it's someone minor or, or our transgressions are few, right? You know, it, I'd rather have one parking ticket than come into a place and have, you know, 100 parking tickets, right? Or whatever it might be. He says, Your sins have piled up to heaven. And that's the picture of what's happening. Verse 6, pay her back even as she is paid and give her back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. So God's now going to have direct judgment or consequences for their action. He's going to say, okay, you have done this. You've abused others. Now you're going to be punished. Verse 7, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. On the other side of your outline, some of you have already probably turned, but they're going to be condemned for self exaltation, which is the phrase she gave glory to herself and lived sensually. She lived lived in a self sufficient way, all, only for herself. Then it gives a, a word picture here: uh, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning, for she says in her heart, "I am, I sit as a queen, and I'm not a widow, and will never see mourning." Now the picture I idea is you have someone the. Babylon is personifying as a woman and says, so I'm the queen. I'm, I'm the height of power. And, and people warn me, I, I could lose everything I have, my power and my pleasures. They said, I will never, lo- I will, I will never be a widow. And all of us, the younger we are, we think never, you know, we're never going to live our life partner. We're never going to lose our health. We're never going to lose whatever resources we have. But it happens, doesn't it? You want to say amen to that? But when, when you know, when I first got married, the last thought I had was, is that you know I would ever lose my wife, and I haven't lost my wife. In fact, when I was young, I never thought I'd lose my parents, and 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 then I never thought my dad, who was the strongest man alive, would ever lose his strength, and it's happening. It's happened. And said, so look, you might think yourself a queen, and you'll never be a widow, and you'll never experience mourning, but the day is coming. And the morning here is not a.m. in contrast to p.m. It's the morning of sadness and grief. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. There's a time of judgment. Remember the story of Babylon in in the book of Daniel? There's the handwriting on the wall. on the wall for Belshazzar, it was like uh, you've been weighed by the scales of heaven and you've been found wanting or lacking. And it says that he lost his kingdom in one night. It's happened in the past. It's going to happen in the future. That those who are in the powerfulest of positions on this planet will lose it all. So where does happiness not, not come from? It doesn't come from pursuing power and pleasure. It does not come from making bad choices or bad decisions because there's consequences. And then thirdly, it doesn't, it doesn't come from crying out about what you justly deserve. You know, there's a place for us to commiserate with people once, once they realize what's happened to them when they, 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 they cry tears of what looks like repentance. But we all, we all have had experiences where we, we see someone in, in remorse, but it's not the remorse of what they've done to be in the situation they're in, but the remorse is they've lost it. They, they feel bad about being caught. They feel bad about losing what they used to have. And we're going to see a passage where it just simply describes people weeping, but they're weeping for that which they deserve and they don't repent. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth... Those who are the, in a position of being world leaders with the world leader, the Antichrist, who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously, only that which would please their senses, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They're not weeping over the decisions they made. They're weeping over that, that which they had, they no longer have. And the empire is, is in a central city, but they're standing from a distance, verse 10, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And you look down through history. There, there have been great empires and great cities that have lost it all, not only Babylon in the past and Babylon in the future, but remember when Great Britain, you know, the sun never set on the, on the, on the empire of, of England. Well, it does today. And you can go to a variety of places of power, it's no longer in that position. It says in verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. So not only the world leaders will experience weeping over what has happened, but those who provided the goods for those who are in power. Cargos of, of gold and silver and precious stones, verse 12, and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet. And every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. So everything that's precious. And cinnamon, cinnamon, cin, I can't say that word fast. And cinnamon. And spice, and incense, and perfume, and frankincense, and wine, and olive oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, and cargoes of horses, and chariots, and slaves, and human lives. No one's there to buy their goods, and much of those goods are gone. Now, the tragic thing here is that it appears that not only did they give the, the physical possessions of the world, they, they gave they give people's lives. They, they their cargo were people. Slavery during this period of time is rampant. Verse 14, the fruit you long for has gone from you, and all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. Remember the story of the Titanic and as they began to realize it actually was sinking, and they began to go to their lifeboats, and sometimes some of the, the passengers were, were given a little bit of ability to go back to their staterooms. And when they went there, they realized they had sense that they passed all away all their fine jewelry, their clothes, furs that were hanging up in the closet, and they just went for a few oranges or something that they could put on that lifeboat that would give them ability to survive. But these are still crying about their luxury. Verse 16, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. It was immediate. And every shipmaster every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? So you have the world leaders, they're lamenting. You have the merchants who are selling all the goods and fine wares of that day. You have those who even transported those goods so the merchants could sell them. Those who, who, who piloted the ships or we could say drove the, the semis. They're weeping because their livelihood is gone. And, and they're just how can how can such a great city, the most powerful city on this planet, be destroyed? And the response, verse 9, and they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning. And this is the picture of those in the Old Testament that would throw dust on themselves and weep and mourn because of their own sin. But that's not the response here. They're weeping and mourning because they've lost what they had. Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. In your outline, I talked about crying about what you justly deserve will not regain happiness because what you're weeping about is simply what you've lost. But what will people be weeping about in the end will not be about what they lost, but where they're placed. Matthew eight twelve 12, it says, But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out in utter darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Final judgment is coming. Matthew 13, 42 says the same thing. And they will be thrown into the furnace of fire in that place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Same idea, Matthew twenty two thirteen 13 and Matthew 24, 51. There's coming a time where people will be weeping. But it will not be simply because of what they've lost, but it will be weeping because of the rebellion against God. They're now placed in an eternal place, eternal place of judgment. Mark wrote these words. For whoever wishes to save his life from the words of Jesus will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In the end, it'll be so obvious. I've given everything for what I could get. And I have nothing on the inside. And finally God says, it is done. Judgment is coming to those who pursue power and pleasure over knowing me. Who think they can make any decision they want and there are really no consequences. Who think maybe crying produces passion when you're really not crying over your sin, but over what you've lost. And this chapter then ends with a, you know, a, a turning from looking at it from earth's perspective, from heaven's perspective. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Her being, again, personification of, of sin and evil in the world in the city of Babylon. And, and, and really what this is saying, in the midst of judgment, what you have here is heaven saying, in the midst of wickedness, being punished. Th- this, this is a source of joy in heaven because final, e- finally, evil is no longer rewarded. And, and that's that's always been a kind of a dilemma for for us as we try to figure out how can there be a God when we when we see good things ha- bad things happening to what kind of people, good people. And then the the reverse of that is, well, how can there be a God if good things happen to bad people? And see, what is happening during this period of time, there's going to be a period of time where it looks like good things are happening to bad people and bad things are happening to good people. And they say, how can you believe in a good God? It's like us looking at ISIS. How How can ISIS be so successful in this world? and not being bloodthirsty, but we want judgment to come upon those who are doing evil in this world. But it's going to come close to home to everybody because evil will be personified and everyone who rebels against God and judgment will come upon them. And heaven will be rejoicing when evil is no longer rewarded on a temporal level. And the story concludes in The next three, four verses. Then a strong angel took up the stone like a great millstone, and he threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. So again, he he says, okay, I want you to picture this. This is what's going to happen to this great city who seems to be prospering despite all of its evil. I want you to take a big stone. Maybe... And the, the pictures I've read are, is this is like a stone maybe five feet in diameter, and you throw it into the sea. And, and when that happens, what will that stone do? It'll immediately, what, sink to the, the bottom. And it's not going to be taken like, remember those smooth stones you like to get if you're up by a lake or a river and you, you skip it? You, know, you kind of get that sidearm you know, throw, and it goes. And if you do really well and it's not too far, you can get that stone to skip all the way from one shore to the other shore. It never sinks. He said, that, that, that's, that's not what's going to happen to Babylon. It's not going to kind of skip along and, and somehow survive. It's going to sink to the bottom. He then goes on to say, I want you again understand what's going to happen. Verse 22. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. There's been a number of kind of pop songs that came out. You know, the day the music, what, stopped or ended. There's a day when it's going to stop. Music is, is a medium by which people can experience joy or happiness. It will end. And then he goes on and says, And, and no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. When you're in that, that gift-giving season, you know, at Christmas, there will be no gift-giving because there will be nothing to give, because nothing will be made to give. And then it goes on. It says, "And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer." And I read that. I go, "What? What in the world does that mean?" Because I didn't have anything to connect it with. Well, the mill there was that which kind of grinds flour. And the idea there, there will there will be no exchange of food because food will not be produced. And then it says in verse 23, "And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. It will be a place of darkness." And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. There will not be the pursuit of a loving relationship because it will end. There will be no love. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were destroyed by your sorcery. You've brought this on yourself. And in her Babylon was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. You have brought judgment upon yourself. And it's justly deserved because you have been murderous in your actions of those who knew God and were trying to do that which is good in the world rather than evil. So, where does happiness come from? Happiness comes from knowing the love of God and not facing the judgment of God. I, I close with this. In John 3:16, it's probably the most familiar verse in the Bible. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So we're talking about the love of God. That whosoever believes in should not perish, but have ever everlasting life. So that's the hope. that's the message that will be preached during this period of time, and it's the message that's being preached during this time. And so the love of God is to, is to pursue and prevail upon people to turn to Him. And knowing the love of God is where the source of true happiness comes from. But, you know, after verse 16 comes verse 17. For God did not send the Son in the world to condemn or to judge the world, but that the world should be saved by Him. And then it speaks very candidly, it says, that for those who have not responded to the, the message of Christ, they've been judged already. Because they refuse to turn to the one who loves them and where true life begins. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Life that. Is filled with quantity, <laughs> it will last forever, but life filled with quality because it's where life is really found. And so, the so what this morning is you know, will your happiness last? You know, just down the road in, in Anaheim, it's the happiest place on, on earth, right? Well, you can go there and have a good time, and there's nothing wrong with having good times, but it doesn't last. And then we realize how much it costs you to have that day there. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's great to enjoy the things here, but it won't last. And so God wants us to say, look at the things that we see that look so permanent, and so powerful, it, it will not. It will not continue. And what's coming is that there will be even more powerful entities, cities and people that will come to power. But it won't last. And it won't last because they rebel against the God who loves them and offers the hope of life found in Him. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be a people that pursue a relationship, a, true, a real relationship with the true God. And it's as simple as what we sung about earlier in the morning, that, that we wholly trust, completely trust in, in Jesus and the one who was God and became a man, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again, to put our confidence in him because he is the only one who can be the forgiver of our our sin and the giver of life. Help us to, to find our joy in you who is in us rather than what is around us. Help us to enjoy the things that we can enjoy, but help us find our true joy and the one who loves us and came for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning.